Hello, my name is Steve D'Agostino, and my co-host Ann Fernald and I welcome you to the Twice Over podcast, because to teach is to learn twice over. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Conversations on Jesuit Higher Education. In this episode, Inviting Students In, we are joined by Catherine Nichols, an advanced lecturer in cultural anthropology and museum studies, and the director of the May Weber Ethnographic Study Collection at Loyola University Chicago. She shares her thoughts about teaching with and through objects. So Catherine, welcome to the Twice Over podcast. Thank you so much for having me. We've been talking a lot about curation in the kind of casual way that people talk about curation of content, but you actually are someone who works with a collection and thinks about curation and talks to students about curation. So I'm wondering if you can talk about what it is you do as the director of this collection. So this collection came to Loyola as a gift to the university from a Chicago-based collector, um, Mae Weber, who was someone who had varied, enormous interests in many disciplines, in many areas of study. And she had a real, I, I guess, passion for thinking about, experiencing, traveling, in areas of the world that that were not Chicago. And so she also sort of occupied a probably a social position um, in which involvement with museums and collecting was uh, certainly something that was common. And so I'm sure there were, you know, sort of like kind of social aspects to her interest in collecting and museums. She's a passionate educator. If you read some of the documentation that is associated with this collection, she operated a small cultural arts museum in Chicago in the late 80s and early 90s. And she was very interested in thinking about kind of innovative ways of teaching, but also, yeah, reaching folks via the kind of material world. She operated this museum that almost resembled all of the positive things that you might associate with dioramas, the ability to sort of move through spaces with objects instead of kind of apart from objects. She juxtaposed objects to almost like recreate spaces in which I think folks could maybe imagine the use of objects, but also have a very close experience to get maybe just another view on aesthetics. When she passed, um, her collection came to Loyola. I'm a trained museum professional as well as an anthropologist. And so I really kind of took to heart all I could learn about Mae Weber and her kind of approach to engaging uh, different people with, you know, materials that were materially unfamiliar. I think one of the wonderful things about university museums and collections in universities is that you have the ability to experiment, to take risks, to be thoughtful about different ways of working. And some of those ways of working can come from my colleagues, the way that they're thinking about the relationship and the relational qualities of museum collections. But certainly I have a call to, to really engage students, I think, with this, with this collection. And so one of the things that is so wonderful about the collection is just access. So access is so difficult 
for university museums, all museums, museums are not like libraries. You cannot just wander into the collections and start thumbing through books. Access barriers in museums for doing things in museums that, that are not just kind of going and looking at exhibits or having kind of social experiences or, you know, kind of getting a tour are really, are really quite challenging to do. So I sort of approach this collection as what could we really do with this that is not something that you could typically do with an existing collection, with a museum collection. And so one of the things that I have really focused on is really like literally trying to get objects into the hands of students. We have a very small antiquities museum at Fordham and our curator came from the Metropolitan Museum of Art and now curates this tiny collection, but it's a teaching collection. And so I had my students in the museum and she said, this is the 2000 year old drinking horn. You know, and, and Fordham is the Rams and it's shaped like a Rams horn. See what you think. What do you think about it? And she's just passing it around. I'm like, I'm freaking out because my entire experience of museums is the one thing you cannot do is touch the object. But that was her, that's the whole gift of it. It was incredible. You know, there's the ability to to handle, to touch. But I think that there's also what is so wonderful about this collection is that my students have constant access. So I teach a course every fall that really focuses on how to sort of do research. I will pull objects out every single day. The students have objects that they are working on as researchers. I really commit to facilitating access to objects, access to data. I really have come to believe that access to data is such an important aspect of pedagogy. I think the pandemic has made that very clear to me because what the pandemic has done as a person that does museum-based research is said, <laughs> you can't come in here. And so all you can do is sort of use what we have in digital format. I mean, that's been something that has, you know, certainly had a huge impact on the way that I teach and the way that I think about teaching. I don't think that that was purely from the pandemic because I was thinking that way sort of prior to, you know, everything closing up and, you know, we all sort of moving online. I feel very strongly about having students have access to data itself and really be empowered and supported as they produce their own knowledge with that data. Can you talk a little bit about like what happens when students are engaging with these objects? Do they pick them up? Do they heft them? Do they sort of smell them? What, what are they doing? Yes, they are. I absolutely want and ask my students to handle objects every day. One of the things that I try to do early, early on in the course is to get them to look at photographs and then to get them to look at objects in person. And there are all kinds of things that you cannot see about an object from a photograph. This is a, this is a very, very, I think, important lesson because it really calls attention to the nature of how you interact with data, right? How you inter sort of interact with objects and the ways in which you're limited by the digital, but also the ways in which um, the digital 
affords more opportunities to make connections, to make knowledge, all of those kinds of things. And you know what is my favorite thing is when a student starts to look at an object and starts to notice things that I didn't even pay attention to. That's one of my favorite things. I'm looking at this object right now. It's an embroidered coat and the student who chose to work with this coat, Santa, we got the coat out. I also let them choose what they want to work with on their like major report. And she chose this coat. I was like, this is gorgeous. It's complicated. Like it's going to be complicated. This is going to be a challenge. And I put the coat on the mannequin. And then as Santa sat with the object and made very detailed drawings and descriptions of this object, she realized, she observed that the armholes are sewn shut. Why? Well, that's weird. Isn't it weird? She says, you know, the armholes are sewn shut. And I'm like, I did not know that because I assumed that they wouldn't be. And you can only see that because you looked really, really closely. And then we sort of engaged in this conversation about why were these, why? Like, why were they sewn shut? It seems so strange. Um, I mean, it's certainly just a decision. Functionally, it seems odd. Um, but we had this wonderful conversation in which we thought about, does this, is, this, is this a way for someone to not like use their hands? Are they not using the sleeves of this coat? Why make sleeves if they're not functional? And so, and so why, you know, why, why is this even meant to be used as a, as, as a coat or is it, you know, is it just sort of illustrative? Is it, you know, is it sort of like just art, I guess? I mean, you cannot see this from a photograph. Um, you have to figure it out as much as you can figure it out and as much as you want to, you know, maybe you won't solve the mystery of the sewn shut armholes, but maybe you will. And that's okay. You don't have to solve it. Maybe there's something else that's more interesting to you about that. And I want to give them kind of that choice to kind of follow the leads that, that they can reasonably find, because that's certainly, you know, there are many dead ends in a research endeavor, and sometimes you'll just never know. And that's one of the, I think that's one of the joys about reading this collection is I, you know, I really try and encourage my students to, to think, to question, to ask. And I think that also requires a sense of humility on my part, because I always say, you know, you guys come in here like, I know everything, asking me questions, like, I know what things are. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, but how do we figure it out? Because I want to know too. So how, how would you evaluate or assess what students are doing in this, in this in, uh, what sounds like an inquiry-based approach to, this, to the collection? I'll tell you one funny story about drawing. Um, in graduate school, I took an art history course and it was taught by a Mayanist. And well, she gave us an assignment that asked us to draw a hieroglyph. And she said it kind of at the end of class and, and I didn't do it. And I, I, I do assignments, you know, I was, I was in graduate school. You could count on me to kind of turn in my work. And the reason I didn't do the assignments because I didn't think it was, I didn't actually think it was an assignment. I thought, oh, this is just some optional thing that like she like wants us to just do on our, in our spare time. I don't have, this is not serious. Like I don't have time for this. Um, and then when I came to the next class and I had not done my drawing, of course I was horrified because I realized that this was a serious um, 
this was a serious method of engagement and learning. Um, and I completely dismissed it because it was not kind of in my experience and in my wheelhouse. And that was a very good lesson for me, not only because it has made me much more aware of the seriousness of different ways of sort of collecting data and interacting with the material world, but it really called attention to my own assumptions about what it is I do and what it is anthropologists do and what it is folks in museums do and all those kinds of things. I, you know, I make sure that I'm very specific in asking my students to draw. And I think that they find this very stressful. I don't know. They think I'm judging them. They like they're being judged by their peers in a way that in which they feel uncomfortable because a lot of them are very familiar with writing, but drawing is something new for them. And in, a, and in some ways it's, it's sort of a nice way to say, look, we're all kind of starting from where we're starting from. And uh, I'd like you to draw this and, and then tell me, like, how did it change what, how you see? Something that I always think about is I'll like send in a paper to a journal to get it reviewed. And, you know, I get the reviews back and basically like, I have to keep revising that paper till it, till I get an A on it, till it gets published. And I think this is like, this is what we need to do. I, you know, I say to my students, look, I'll give you the comments on it, but you need to keep going back to it until you, until it meets, you know, what it needs to meet to get an A. I'm like, everybody needs to get an A because everybody just needs to keep kind of like revisiting um, and keep kind of keep coming back to things. I love what you say about revision, right? Cause I get, I just turned something back around that got to revise and resubmit. And I can already see that it could use one more round. I haven't gotten the answers yet, but I know whatever happens with it, I now understand the next turn of the crank is how I'm thinking of it to make it just that much better. So you talked a lot about your commitment to facilitating access. And I'm wondering how you think about access in a diverse room of students where some objects in the room may be connected to some students' cultural heritage and some objects will be absolutely not connected to other to students' cultural heritage, right? I mean, so many students may have, when you bring an object into the room, it'll be from a culture that is different from that of most students, but occasionally there'll be a student who be like, oh, I'm from this place and I've seen something like that in my home, or I know my grandfather used something like that, right? And so how do you think about that as you're teaching? One of the things that I do is I let my students know that I take very seriously what they bring to the table. I mean, this is an Ignatian idea that students are coming with experience, context, right? That kind of background. And whether that is what, you know, however that experience has been acquired, I'm going to take that seriously. And I think modeling, taking that seriously is essential. I mean, I do that as an anthropologist. So I very much understand that the people that I work with, I am learning from, and they are experts. They have particular forms of expertise that is born of experience, that is born of different ways of transmitting and controlling knowledge. 
So I think that that is something as an anthropologist, you know, I've learned doing what I do, but I'm also very interested in how systems, um, particularly systems in the museum, privilege certain forms of knowledge over others. So there's really some wonderful work looks critically at the way that information is structured in institutional environments. The reality of many museum collections is that they have been acquired under relations that are characterized by inequality, that may be colonialist in many senses. A lot of these relationships, power relations, are replicated in ways that they're replicated in ways that are somewhat distant from some of those narratives about collecting and repatriation. Well, who knows and who gets to say? That's the crux of the issue in museum information, because there's all this information that museums have collected over time and they've curated and they've reproduced in digital formats and made it really accessible. Well, not really accessible, but more accessible. And yeah, I mean, there's information out there, but if you don't think about who wrote that information and who determined what what got put in the box, you need to. Also, you know, we talk a lot about, about databases and fields. And so who even determines the fields? Because the determination of the fields in a database tells you a lot about what's important and what's not. And so that's like a hugely important aspect of, you know, the way in which I want students to really think about like these questions of representation. And if they're working with objects, I want them to kind of have that experience of like making decisions about what terms are used to describe objects and to actually like push back on, on me, push back on standards, professional standards or disciplinary standards to say, well, these are the, you know, these are the standard fields of description. Well, can we have some non-standard fields of description? And how does that kind of work in a database? Does the database accommodate those things? Do we need to change the database so it does? Those kinds of questions. Because, you know, the one thing that students, man, they will believe anything if it's written down and in a form. Huh, it's like the truth. And I'm like, mm -mm. I was like, who wrote this? <laughs> I really want them to feel like they can say no. They can say, this doesn't look right to me, or I have a different experience, or I have different knowledge that challenges this. And the more you obscure the author, and the more you obscure the process behind the production of that very structured data, the, the, more, the more true it seems. So I, I think often of the experience of going to a museum and seeing an object and being really excited about it and wanting to know more about it. You know, this painting is clearly mythological. What's the myth? Or I don't know if this is a dress or an apron. Is it fancy or is it ordinary? And you go to the label and the label says, a gift of Mrs. Stephen Thompson as part of the Altruvia bequest in honor of the Pope. And you think, you know, that's a lot of details about provenance and money. And I still don't know if it's an apron or a dress. Absolutely. That's one of the things that I ask my students to do is to write labels for objects. And 
some of them are like very creative. Some of them really take risks. And I think at that point in the semester, they've kind of like come to feel a level of comfort with each other and with me, because I'm really interested in having a conversation with them. Show me what you figured out. Let's look at it. I'll tell you what I think. And you tell me if you think I'm right. And I'll tell you, let's figure it out. And I, that ability to kind of, you know, come to the table with one's own knowledge and one's own experience is frankly wonderful. I can't wait to see what Xana finds out about this coat. Is it a coat? I don't know. The database says we should probably use coat to describe it, but should we? I don't know. What do you think, Santa? Giving students that, you know, inviting them to do that is wonderful because they're going to come up with ideas and make observations that I'm not going to. It echoes my experience in the museum field, which is one that has always been a very supportive community. That's one of the things that I have always experienced as, as an academic. Academics that work in museums, especially in anthropology, tend to be very supportive of each other. And I always say it's because we're all working together <laughs> against this institution that is so deeply problematic, but is also so potentially like generative. I think that there's that really shared sense of how can we kind of think these things through. I really see my students as as essential in curating this collection, in thinking about ways to interact with objects that are really not limited by ideas about you can't touch that, or we have to do it this way, or the catalog says this, so it must be true. I mean, we can do whatever we want in here, I think. And I want students to have that experience to feel like that they are welcome to bring their own knowledge and experience and interests and effort to the table. I want to give them my feedback. I want them to hear the feedback of others. I want them to work towards something that they feel they were able to share what they knew at the time and that what they turn in and all of their reports are filed in the files and will be for perpetuity. And that is one of my great joys because I go back in those files and I see the former students and I'm like, oh, this student is wonderful. I love it. It's just, it's this archive, it's just this record of all the students that I've had the pleasure to work with. And it's this daily sort of like constant reminder. You've been now at Loyola for eight years. So you must have objects that have had multiple reports on the same object. No, no, no. We no. have too many objects. Too many ob <laughs> I'm like, everybody does a new object. Oh, you have to do a new object. That's <laughs> you don't part have of the rule. To. You know, you don't have to. What rules? I'm like, if you can make a good enough argument, I will hear you out. Um, you know, another thing I always ask them to do is I like I've been doing this in the past. I want them to work on textiles because we have so many textiles and I love textiles, but they're textiles are just so frustrating in a lot of ways because they're so you think, oh, this is going to be so like, it's nice. These are very like foldable, but they take all, all this room. They're such a pain, but I like for them to all work on textiles because I actually think technique is a really important aspect of thinking about materials and objects. And I'm like, if we can all get on board with textiles, like we can talk about technique. And I have this one week where we have to talk about warp and weft. My brain almost explodes because it's so difficult to think in that way. And, but if you really don't want to work on a textile, tell me, 
and you can do something else. I want to afford you the ability to really do something you're interested in. But I also think that sometimes having, you know, people, someone say like, hey, I really want you to do textile, but you can choose. We have 900 textiles. You can choose which one you want. Um, I'm sure you can find something in here that might suit you. But I also think that it's fascinating to me why students choose the things that they choose. Sometimes it has to do with their own heritage or their own experience, which is a wonderful way. I think for a lot of people to really learn more about communities in which they have relationships. Another thing that I have learned is that the way that, and I'm not the first person to have learned this or observed this, this is, this is well known um, amongst anthropologists, is that, you know, the way people that have relationships with things or objects or their belongings, the way in which they relate to those things is not, is not the way that I relate to things when I'm cataloging them, not at all. And so I think there are ways to sort of operate that are responsive to the way that curation happens in museums, but there's also ways to operate that, that could influence how curation could happen in museums. And if you want to do something interesting or different, do it because I'm here to support you and challenge you and hear from you and be interested in what you're, what you're thinking and what you're doing. But I'm, I'm really not that interested in telling you, you didn't do this right or do that right. But I want to know why you did what you did. I mean, that's the anthropologist to me. I'm like, tell me why you did what you did. And if you can get students to reflect on that, why they made the decisions they made, that is an exceptional pedagogical tool. There's this great quote, a finished museum is a useless museum or something. It's this idea that nothing's, nothing's ever really, I mean, what does it mean to be done anyway? There's always new sort of ways of interacting with things, of making connections. It makes you think, what is it we're teaching here? What is a teaching collection? Does that really, does that just mean you're sort of using it to illustrate existing knowledge? I mean, it can. There's a lot of inquiry here. And so to approach this collection as what kind of knowledge can you produce? I mean, really gets at that what happens when we invite students into data repositories, whether that's a museum or whether that is an online or digital repository to do that? And are there kind of ways of operating that draws attention to the way in which data is structured, um, how it's produced, all of those sort of questions, and then what can, what can we do with it? But I think that's what I'm interested in, in terms of teaching and learning. Yeah. And I think it's also wonderful how little I know. We always like to ask people about a favorite teacher, someone in your past who continues to inform your practice as a teacher. So who would you single out? Nancy Parizo was on my doctoral committee and she actually, I never uh, was at the university that she was at, but I met her um, sort of doing museum research. And um, she she has made such an impression on me, both in terms of her research, her scholarship. I mean, her scholarship is one, you know, it's unbelievable, but really it was like her humanity. It is her humanity that is something that I I love. It just in so many ways, she has modeled like what it means to be a human being and what a wonderful thing 
to find that in someone who is also a, a teacher. I mean, she has done this in so many ways with me and with other students. It's hard for me to even kind of tell you about Nancy because she's such a important person to me. I mean, I have learned so much from her outside of a classroom. And those are things that have enormous value to me. And I know she's had just a huge impact on my own thinking, my own work, the ability for me to do my work. She listened to me as a, you know, as sort of a graduate student, you know, kind of as a younger graduate student. She really listened to what I was interested in. She responded. She did so many things to sort of like clear the way to make the things that I was interested in possible. And just, she's a wonderful person. She's a wonderful person. Um, and I think that that makes her a phenomenal teacher. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a real privilege to talk to you. Thank you. Twice Over Podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify, with new episodes appearing twice each week. For host and guest bios and show notes, please visit our website, twiceoverpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twiceover1 or email us at twiceoverpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.